Acts 18 verses 12 to 22 is our text for this message, Plans and Providence. Verse 12. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or of vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat, and they all took hold of Sothenus, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. And Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. And Paul, having remained many days longer, this is in Corinth, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. Remember, those were the fellow tent makers there. And in Sancria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they had asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up to greet uh, and greeted the church. That's basically in Jerusalem. And then he went down to Antioch. Amen. We'll stop there. The themes or the ideas of plans and providence I've shared with you before. I, I've talked about this. Um, it's something that I'll share about frequently because I see it as a common uh, teaching and topic as we read through Scripture. This is a place that causes a dilemma for a lot of people. If, if we've been following Jesus for some time, inside each and every one of us is a desire to want to follow after God. I mean, like, if, if the Holy Spirit is present and working in our lives, I mean, He's changing us from the inside out, and there's an inclination to want to do things that are pleasing to God, and there is this question, have you ever asked God, is this your will? I mean, you probably have in some shape or form or another. You've, you've asked God, you have a decision before you, or there's something that's about to happen, or you wish to happen, or you don't wish. And whatever the situation might be, you want God's will to unfold in your career, in your family, relationships, in the paths in front of you. You want the will of God to come about, to come to fruition. But where is the intersection of where I plan and where I allow God to lead? That can be somewhat of a gray area for a lot of Christians. It's like, I don't know where the, the balance is. I don't know where I draw a line between, is this me or is this God? Something had happened, like, did I make it happen or did God lead it to happen? And we're confused about the matter. And that topic comes up in our passage, especially when Paul was in Ephesus saying, you know what, they're asking, would you, would you stay longer with us? And he's like, well, I, I want to go home, all right? And I'll come back to you, and he gives the phrase, if God wills. 
And there we see the intersection of these two things. The plans that we can put in place and the providence of God. What I mean by providence is His sovereignty or His power. His overarching rule over creation that sets things in place from the beginning of time. When Scripture says that God has epics and ages and He places them in a way that only He understands, it's like history unfolds according to His plan, His knowledge. And when we think about providence and the plans that we make, where does that come about? You might have understood a debate or heard about a debate through the centuries of the church. And it was about the the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. If God has planned everything, where then is the room for me to actually exercise my free will? If God had already set it in place, that means I, I really don't have a decision to make. God's will will just come about whether I try or I don't try. That space can be difficult to understand at times, especially when we're in the moment and it's hard to discern, is this me or is this God? That's what we want to talk about in these two ideas of plans and providence. Now remember, Paul is in Corinth. This, as I mentioned last week, was a commercial center, had two harbors, and it was just, you know, a lot of trade, a lot of people going in and out of the city, a lot of merchandise going in and out of the city, and it was also a a very immoral city. And it says in our passage at the end of verse 18 that Paul was in a particular city and he had his hair cut because he was taking a vow. If you're a little familiar with the Old Testament, and kind of the Jewish tradition, maybe the life of one of the judges in the Old Testament, Samson, who had long hair, there was a vow that people took, and it was called the vow of the Nazarite. And it was a vow that I wouldn't drink from the vine, grape products, I would not have my hair cut, and I wouldn't go near a dead body. And it was a vow that a person made before God. And these were the ways that they kind of lived out the vow. But it was a vow of consecration, meaning, Lord, I want to devote myself to you. And I want to show you my devotion in these particular areas. I'm not going to drink of the vine. I'm not going to have my hair cut as an outward symbol. And I'm not going to go near anything that's dead, even if it would be my parents or whatever it might be. And so in these outward signs, I want to show to you that my life, I want to consecrate it to you. And some commentaries would say this, that because the immoral nature of the city of Corinth was so intense, I mean, we're talking about the sex trade at a heightened kind of level in that city, because all around him was immorality, a lot of people would say that Paul took the vow of the Nazarite to consecrate himself in a sense because there was so much temptation He wanted to have a devotion. And so he has his haircut after he leaves the city, right? Because he made this vow. And then he kind of goes forward and he lands in Ephesus. And the the things that I want to say to you through this message will fall along a similar pattern as I mentioned last week. I want to talk about two observations from our passage. And after the two observations, I want to talk about two implications for our lives. It's going to be that simple. What do we see in the text? And then what does it mean for us as individuals who live today? Okay. And so the first observation that I want to say is this. As I read the text, Paul wanted to go home. <laughs> All right. He's in Corinth. 
And this is a long trip, right? I mean, he, he stayed a, a year and a half in that city, and it was preceded by Athens, by all of Thessalonica, Berea, and it was all in Asia Minor, and you go through this entire space that he, that he went through, and I've shown you that map. I'll show you again a little bit later, but it was a, a long trip. And after about a year and a half in Corinth, he's like, you know what? Um, I want to go back to Syria. And that's where Antioch was, right? That's his home church. That was the sending church where he left at the beginning of this second journey. And so Paul's like, I want to go home. And to me, when I kind of sense that and I read that, that brings a tremendous sense of comfort to me. It kind of shows that he wasn't like, he was human, right? Have you ever been on a trip and all you thought about at the tail end of the trip was like, I mean, it's nice and all. I mean, I had a great time, a lot of good memories, a lot of great photos. But I, I'm thinking about home. I mean, I think about this like I, I kind of relate it to mission trips sometimes, you know. Through the years as I've gone through these many different countries and, and these different trips that I've been on with such fruitful ministry in those times that I was there in the country, wherever it was. And at the tail end of it, when you see it kind of winding down, it's like your mind is just going, actually, I just want to get home. Right? I remember when I was uh, in Nairobi, Kenya, right, for uh, I think it was about a week, week and a half or so, and you know, just leading a week of a seminar over there. This was back right after Jenny and I got married. We were living in Korea at the time. I think it was like December of 2006, and, uh, or it, may, it might even December of 2006, I think it was. And uh, as I was there, like a great week of ministry, and I caught malaria at the end of that, right? And like I'm shivering. I have every piece of clothing that I packed on me. I'm under like blankets and I'm just sweating profusely and I have chills. And the missionary's kind of like thinking, I think he got malaria, but we'll check it out in the morning. And so I go to like this Catholic clinic the next morning and they, they check you out. And it turned out that I did have malaria. And, you know, there were a, a couple of choices. And the missionary approached me like, what do you want to do? Like, you're, you got malaria. Uh, you want to stay here a little bit longer, delay your flight. And I could only think of one thing at the time. I just want to get home, right? I just want to get home. And regardless of my physical condition, I actually just got on a plane. And uh, I mean, I took some medication that was there available to me in the span of like 15 hours. I saw my body recovering a, a lot more. But I just kind of hightailed at home, right? And Paul is in this space where he's in Corinth, and it shows this phrase, and it says it a couple of times, took leave of the brethren. When it says took leave, what that means is to separate oneself, withdraw oneself from anyone, to renounce, to forsake, right? And so when Paul took leave of the brethren that it says there in Corinth, and later he did the same thing in Ephesus, it's talking about he just intentionally says, you know what, I need to remove myself from this group right here, and I, I need to get to where I want to go. Right? I, I took leave of that. And it, it's a tremendous kind of portrayal of the humanity of Saul. I mean, we can exonerate Jesus, of course, as you know, being God and man. And you look at the people of Scripture, whether it be King David, who we say was a man after God's own heart, or, or, or people like Paul, who traveled these amazing journeys, wrote these amazing letters, really started the New Testament church, or people like Peter, right? And you read about them, and you can put them on this space and say, I can never be like that, because that's not how I act. You know, I'm so imperfect. But here what I see is the humanity of this apostle and just this desire, you know what, like, I, I, I kind of had enough of ministry 
and I want to get home. And it brings a tremendous sense of comfort as I think about that and as I read it, right? And this, this idea of taking leave or separation from people, I mean, I actually see this in the life of Jesus as well. Oftentimes, Jesus would remove himself from ministry, from the crowds. I mean, wherever he went, he was magnetic, right? Charismatic, he spoke with authority. People were healed, fed, cleansed, walking, hearing, seeing, wherever he went. And like, just people, it was like, you know, this light and just insects just would, just drawn to that, right? And so wherever he went, he was magnetic. And oftentimes, it says in scripture, that he would remove himself or he would slip away. And he would go to the wilderness where no one was. I mean, if you work in a space that's crowded, I mean, don't you like having lunch by yourself? You know what I mean, you know what I mean, right? Like when you're always around people, like you just want, like, I'm just gonna be by myself for a moment, right? I don't need to talk to anybody, I'm really cool. You can just, I like sitting by myself at this large table, I'm fine with that, right? And for Jesus, because the ministry involvement was so intense and always around people, it says that he would often slip away to the wilderness. And there in solitude, he would pray to God. Now, this is not to say that Jesus got fed up with people, but I think he leaves us a model or an example to understand that there are moments where we do need to separate ourselves from the crowds, from people. Right? And Paul wanting to go home, I see as a tremendous betrayal of them. Now, here's the map that, I, that I've been showing you, right? And so he was in Corinth, right? And where is Syria? Syria is over here, and this is the sending church, Antioch, right over here off of the coast, right? And so he'd been going on this journey. He went through, you know, Derbe, Lystra, uh, Pisidian, Antioch, Troas, and Philippi. And he went all the way there through, and now he's in, in Greece. And from Corinth, he says, I want to go home. Right? And so then he sets sail and he leaves Corinth and then he goes to Ephesus. Right? And there, while he's in Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila, they, they accompany him there and he leaves them there. And then he wants to leave after still ministering. And I, I find it that even on his way home, he did not neglect opportunities to share the word and to be a light for God. I find that also tremendously encouraging. Right? And so just because you want to go home, like, have you ever done that? Like, you know, you don't care about what anybody else is doing. Like, you just left, like, ministry. I don't care now about anybody else, and this is where I'm headed. Even though Paul had his sights on home, as he was traveling, he still took the opportunities to be the light of God. Right? And so he's in Ephesus, and he says, he's speaking with the Jews there, and he reasoned with them. And when they had asked him, will you stay longer? He says, you know what? Um, actually, I'm headed back this way. I'm going back home. I'll come back to you. And this is when he says the statement, if God wills. Right? But as we see him here, he leaves Ephesus. And from here, interestingly, he does not go directly back home to Antioch. It says that he went and he greeted the church. And that's talking about the church in Jerusalem. Whenever it says you go up, it's, Jerusalem is actually south. Normally you think of going south, you go down. Like it's like Orange County, you go down to San Diego. You go up back to Orange County, right? And so when you think of the geography, normally you think of going down to Jerusalem. But every time in scripture, you'll find that it says they went up to Jerusalem. Why is that? It's because of the elevation. 
They're going through elevated areas here. And in a sense, they're, they're, they're traveling upward. Okay? And when they're going back down, they're going down to Antioch, it says. Okay? And so don't be confused about that. But interesting, you see that Paul goes from there and he lands in Caesarea. Now that's a very, I mean, we're, I mean that's not a, like a short detour, you know, right? And so even in this state of wanting to go home, I see that Paul finds it important to greet the main church, to let them know what happened on this second journey, because this is where all of the main elders of the early church were, right? In Jerusalem. And on this journey, as he was commissioned by the church, he goes back there and he makes it a point, I'm going to sidetrack from going home and I'm going to head to Jerusalem to greet them there, to let them know what happened. And after that, basically, he goes up to Antioch and he goes back home to the Ascending Church. This is where he felt most comfortable. This is where he was headed the entire time. And so this journey of Paul through this second missionary journey, it's been an eventful one as we've walked through it over these weeks, right? We've seen the revisitation of the churches that were planted on the first journey. We saw how God blocked the door to many places in Asia and how He sent Paul to Macedonia through that vision of that man saying, come to us. How He went to Philippi and from there Thessalonica and Berea. We saw the imprisonments and all of the harsh treatment that He went through. And there He went to Athens and He spoke on Mars Hill and He reasoned with all of the philosophers, talking to them about their unknown God and exclaiming who God really was leaving Athens and staying a year and a half in Corinth. And then finally saying, you know what, I need to make, make my way back home. And then him traveling home, speaking in Ephesus, going and greeting Jerusalem, and then heading back to Antioch. All of the ministry that took place on there and even on the way back home. I think we can learn some important things there, and I'll talk about that in the implication. But the second observation is this. That Paul desired God's active, not passive, direction. What do I mean by that? I think too often this is how we discern what God's will is, right? Now, track with me a little bit. I think often this is how it works out. Like, we just decide to do something. If it works out, it was God's will. If it doesn't work out, it wasn't His will. Like, I, I tried, but God, it, I guess it wasn't your will, right? And I, I, I think, quite honestly, that's how it pans out. Very often. But in a sense, if you think about that pattern, it subjugates God's will to our desires. Like, I just do what I want to do. If it works out, like I deem it as God's will. If it doesn't work out, okay, it wasn't. And we're okay with that. It might seem somewhat spiritual, but I think there's something twisted underneath that. Right? There's something wrong about that motivation. But the foundation... And what I'd like to say under this observation is that we need in our lives to make a sanctified decision. What do I mean by that? I've shared this verse with you before. Proverbs 16.9, right? The mind of man plans, right? But the Lord directs. Okay? And so planning is a capacity that God gave each and every one of us, right? The ability to, to calculate based on experience, based on skill sets, based on observation of my environment, based on what I think would trigger this and that, domino effects, or whatever it is, God gave me a capacity. Right? All of us a capacity. 
And with the capacity and with the indwelling of the Spirit, God, God just, a part of my life, me knowing Scripture, God gives me the ability to plan. I make plans for my career, for relationships, for the path that's in front of me. And I do all of that, and that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Uh, in a sense, you go to the market, God, do you want me to buy this brand or that brand? I mean, come on, read the label, figure it out for yourself. I mean, I don't think you need to pray for that. You know, it's like, you know, it's, there's a certain extent to our spirituality. I think we can overdo it for a second, you know. I, I know this desire to want to, to, to seek God in every decision. That is precious. But God gave to us a heart that is continually being sanctified. And if the presence of God is within us and He has granted us, each and every one of us, wisdom, knowledge, the ability to discern, there are certain decisions that can be spiritual that I can make with the information that God has already granted to me. That's a plan that I can make. God wants us to make plans, right? But there is something that undergirds that, the plans. Right? And that's what I tried to allude to in my title slide, Plans and Providence. That plans are the blocks that lie upon a foundation of providence. We live in California, right? I mean, the, the, the state of earthquakes. When the earth shakes, that's when the stuff on top, it, I mean, like it, it rolls and it moves. It's unstable, right? That providence is undergirding everything. And we build upon that. And that's where we need to understand our plans. That Okay, you know what? I'll, I'll put a blueprint out and I'll, and I'll build a house this way. But I understand that it's being built upon something sturdier, more important and foundational to that. Right? And I have to understand that whatever plan that I make, it rests upon God's direction. That God, in a sense, can veto. That God redirects. That God closes and opens doors. That He, that he slays the enemy even apart from our ability. Right? And there is a, a providence of God that undergirds, that directs our steps. And this idea of plans and direction is that same idea in my title of plans and providence. I've shared this with you before as well. Because this imagery, I think, is important now. I know in California, especially in SoCal, we don't take the bus that, that, that often. I mean, when was the last? Has anyone ever never ridden a bus in their life? Okay, actually, that's, well, we all have. Oh, great. <laughs> when was the last time you rode a bus? In the, anyone rode a bus in the last year, 2017? Two, one? One person out of, two people out of all of us that rode a bus last year. Okay, but you'll, you'll know this imagery, right? I used to be a youth pastor, and, you know, when you have seniors in high school, you'd ask a question, you know, what are your plans, right? And there are two types of seniors. The seniors that don't have a clue, <laughs> and the seniors that got it all mapped out, kind of like, oh, like hyper-organized, you know. They've sent like a million letters to scholarships and they know all the grants and they're like, man, I'm just, yeah, I got it all planned out type thing. I know what my first year is going to look like. I'm going to live here. I'm going to do that. And, da, 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 da. and then you got the other type. You know what? Like, I don't know. And when you have the I don't know and there is somewhat of a spiritual sense in that person, they'll give you this pocket answer. You know what that is? I'm waiting on God. Right? 
And I would almost cringe at that answer. Like, what do you mean you're waiting on God? Like, what does that mean for you, right? Because they haven't sent out any applications, they haven't done any mapping, they haven't internalized everything of what career field they'd like to do, what they're good at. They haven't calculated any of that, and their pocket answer is, I'm waiting on God. That is disrespectful, I think. That is lazy. Because I think there's two types of waiting. Waiting. Like, and I'll use the imagery of a bus. Okay. The first type of waiting in this example right, is a person that has no idea of where he or she wants to go. And somehow believes that I'm going to wake up today and God is going to take me somewhere. Right? And so they get up and they sit on a bus, stop on a bench, and they just wait. And somehow they're waiting for some sort of like regurgitation of spirituality, to some unction to get up off of this bus stop and to actually board one of them that come by. I'm waiting on God to show me which bus to get on. I don't know. I haven't planned anything yet. I'm just waiting for him to direct me to actually get on one. That's, I think, one type of waiting. Without a clue, but you're waiting on some form of indication from God of what to do. There's another type of waiting. This waiting is, you know, like, for whatever reason, you're going to, you, you have this unction or this desire and this plan in space in mind that you're going to go from where you're at in your city and you want to get to a particular destination in downtown Los Angeles, right? And you're going to go to meet somebody. You're going to go for whatever, th there's an a plan for that day that undergirds an overarching plan of why you're actually going to that destination. And so, you know what, you realize I need to get from here and I need to go there. And so, if you don't have a vehicle and you're going to take the bus, you look up bus routes. Okay? Where's the closest bus stop? Okay? Now, you look up under the website, whatever bus schedule there is, what number bus goes from where I live to where I want to get to? And maybe it's one bus. Or maybe you have to transfer. You all know what a transfer is, right? You get off a bus and you get on a different number at a particular junction where two lines intersect because that second line will take you to your destination. Okay. And so now this person wakes up that day, did all of his or her homework, realizes that I need to get from where I'm at to where I want to get to, and calculated the routes and goes to the bus stop, sits down, and waits. Still waiting. But what is this person waiting for? Not just some random unction. This person is waiting for a specific number. I'm waiting still. Same waiting, same bus stop, same sitting, same time passes. But this person is waiting with a plan. Now, I'm waiting for bus 451. Because okay? bus 451 will take me from this stop to that city, and I'm going to get off on that bus, and I'm going to go from there, and I'm going to go to another place, and I'm going to wait for 580, whatever it might be. Now, God can intervene in both situations, I think. I, I mean, there are moments where I think randomly God will give you unctions that you had no plans for. But I think predominantly speaking, the way God wants us to live is in that second mode. Right? It's in the mode of having a sanctified plan, of allowing God to just move inside my heart, give clarity to visions, and to really map out a plan 
in a way that I know will honor God, consistent with Scripture, all of that good stuff. And then you wait on God. As that person sitting on the bus, now God can intervene in any moment. What if that bus never comes by? What if somehow I looked at an old schedule and the routes were wrong? What if some reason bus drivers called sick? There's a strike for, for, for Okta, right? And for whatever reason, the bus never came while I was waiting. I got some options now. I go back to the drawing board. Wait a minute. I made this plan. It never came to fruition as I thought it would. Is God blocking the door? Now I then requestioned my initial plan because a hiccup came that I did not foresee. Right? And so I go back to the drawing board. I pull back from the bus stop and I say, okay, wait a minute. I know I wanted to get there today, but for whatever reason, I couldn't get there. Now you can kind of see, wait a minute, was I acting ahead of myself? I do believe God intervenes. Was he stopping me from getting there for a particular reason? And then you slow down a little bit. And then you recheck and recalculate and say, God, is this really what you want for me? Maybe you try again. Maybe you try a different method of transportation. If that works out and you get there and somehow it like, or maybe it doesn't work again. And so the idea of waiting on God is not different from having a plan. It incorporates it. And this is what I want to get to today. When Paul is saying to the Ephesians, you know what? I want to come back to you. But then he adds the phrase, if God wills. That's a very important mindset to have. And notice how it's like, I'm going to make my effort to get back here. But I need you to acknowledge the fact that God intervenes in life, in circumstance. And if God allows me to get back, and He does allow him because he goes back on a subsequent journey. But there is an understanding from Paul in the making of the plan, but an understanding of a dependence upon a providence that is greater than him. And this is how I think we can organize our lives, our decisions, in a way that really honors God, that creates a sense of productivity, a sense of good stewardship of our resources and intellect, but also in a way that's humble and dependent, acknowledging a, a more divine hand and strength. This kind of hits home uh, for me. I mean, I've mentioned, you know, before a possibility for our church to, to use another church in Santa Ana, a facility. I mentioned that, you know, late last year. And 2017 for our board has been all about, like, trying to figure this out. You know, we went to, we, we had three different scenarios that seemed like pretty decent scenarios at the time. And none of them panned out. None of them. And so... The, po the posture that we took as a church, as, as, as a leadership group, was to, to make some plans to create an environment where we meet, to figure out, is this really going to work? But somehow, this last one in Santa Ana, I really thought was going to work out, right? But in the last minute, there was a snag to it. Like, it was beyond our foresight and our, in a sense, our ability, our, our capacity. We had done all the things, at least to our knowledge, what was right at the time, but for whatever reason, it got hung up, right? At the very last moment, I mean, I went to even clean up that 
room with the staff. It was all cleared out. I, I went there, and they were like ready to give me a master key. They're like, oh, Pastor Robert, I think you need a master key, right? And they were ready to give me that, and then it just got hung up at the very end for some really unforeseen reasons. And to me, I see the application of this message in that particular situation. At least I do, right? That you have due diligence and you do everything necessary with the sanctified process, trying to honor God, making a wise choice, and then you, and you go. But you have to acknowledge and, and leave room for the providence of God. And how He interjects or intervenes. And Paul, his following of God was not passive. Oh, whatever happens, okay, if it worked out, it's God's will. If it didn't work out, it's not your will. It was more active than that. It was him understanding that the Lord directs. Because in his mind, what's probably fresh there is like, I tried to go to Asia Minor and God blocked the door. God showed me a vision of a man in Macedonia, so I made a beeline for there. Like, He's seen how God has been actively guiding him through this journey. And in that same way, we see him speak to the Ephesians. And, and I hope that informs you. I hope that helps you in terms of how you can make decisions for your future. Uh, what it means to make a spiritual choice. The, prayer needs to be incorporated through all of this. A posture of humility, of, of really seeking and being sensitive to God. You've seen, heard analogies before that you need to have the antennae up, that God is always speaking, but we need to be able to capture it. The waves are going out, but only those who have the ability to capture that, that sensitivity, the antennae, somehow being plugged into that. Then I begin to hear and decode that. And so God is speaking all the time, and I need to have a posture of prayer. But God has sanctified us. God is in, the, in that place where He's growing our maturity, giving us capacities and wisdom, knowledge, discernment. And make choices that you know will honor God, that is consistent with Scripture. Move forward in those plans and allow God to interject. So those are my observations, right? Paul wanted to go home, and he also desired God's active direction. My implications. Take care of yourself without being selfish. <laughs> I hope you understand what I mean by that. But Paul's like, you know what? What's good for me right now is to get home. <laughs> but in the process of doing that, he still did it in a selfless manner in a way that still had a posture of love and service to others. Right? It's like you're all burnt out from, you, you've been serving God and, and doing something, and all of a sudden you're just going to rest, and you just completely pass by somebody that's in need. It's like, quite honestly, that parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was mugged, beaten to an inch of his life. Two religious folks, you know? Walking probably to the temple to go do some religious stuff, right? But completely bypasses a need. And then the story takes a twist because somebody who you would never think would get close to that guy, a Samaritan, stops and he does, right? And so, yes, there's this importance of being able to, all right, when you need to rest, when you need to separate yourself, do it. 
but we must always remember there are no vacations from being a Christian. It's not a switch we turn on and off. I'll be a Christian today, not tomorrow, right? I need my space, so I'm not a Christian today. I'm just going to do whatever I want, right? Actually, I was going to kind of cuss there a little bit. <laughs> I had to suck it back a little bit. It wasn't really a bad word. It was the H word. I'm going to do what that. <laughs> so just understand, we can take care of ourselves, but don't turn off that switch. The last uh, implication is be sensitive to God's leadership daily. He leads us daily. Like each day, he leads us. Tap into that. Yearn for it. Want it. He'll give it. Whenever we need wisdom, Scripture says that God will give. We won't lack that. We'll have that discernment. We'll have the mercy when we need it. Praise team, you guys come back up.